Anybody believe that? Yes, he's good. Yes, he's good. If I was in the Baptist church I grew up in, I would say, God is good. And all the time. Oh, sucka, sucka. Now, look at you. Look at y'all. Boy, y'all showing out today. You're showing out. Uh, well, my name is Doug, according to Tony. And uh, <laughs> somebody, what'd you say? But uh, my, my real name is Norflet, and uh, uh, I'm the worship director, one of the pastors on staff. And what a great privilege it is to stand before you this morning. You know, I really live by the truth that God is good. It is a strong conviction of mine for whatever shows up next, because I can be sure that what comes next is God's goodness. That's right. When you believe that he's good, you're good. Well, one of the other truths that uh, has been arresting my heart and I'm learning to abide in is God desires that we live from his fullness. Right? And from his fullness, there is everything we need from his fullness. God wants us to live from his fullness. Fullness being defined as being filled to capacity. Yet when we look at God, God is an infinite God, and so his capacity is unlimited. So we really live from an unlimited place. The truth is, I mean, if, you, if you look at Scripture and just see miracle after miracle of the hand of God in the lives of God's people, you see that they live from an unlimited place. I mean, Joshua said, sun stand still, and it stood still. That's unlimited. Elijah had an axe floating water. That's unlimited. Jesus blessed five loaves and two fish and had 12 baskets left over. That's unlimited. And God desires that you and I live from that unlimited place. In fact, Paul writes, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. And we have been filled in him. And so when we're in Christ, we are full. Anybody want to be full? Uh, I say it like this. You know, you have that, 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 that theory that uh, the glass is half empty or half full. I believe half full is not full enough. God wants you full. Ephesians 3.19 says that we may be filled with all his fullness. And John the Beloved says... John 1.16, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, this has relevance to our Game Changer series, but I want, I want to read this to you from the Amplified. It says, for out of his fullness or abundance, we all received, all had a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Oh, that's full life right there, y'all. That we receive from him grace upon grace, favor upon favor, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, gift upon gift. And so as this uh, morning begins to turn afternoon. Uh, 
we're going to close out the Game Changer series. And, and my prayer is that we all realize that there is game-changing potential in each one of us. Why? Because we've all received from his fullness grace upon grace. I mean, I know you've probably heard this and probably looked at the, the parents that are adopting kids and like, ah, I don't know. How could I do something like that? And this summer, we've heard some amazing stories of people doing extraordinary things across the oceans and even extraordinary things across the street. I mean, people are doing extraordinary all over. And if we really, if we get confused, we'll think that it's because they're special. Not that they're not, but, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, God endowed them with something, you know, some kind of sprinkle dust, and they're able to do something magnificent. But when you read the scriptures, the scriptures are replete that God shows no partiality. He's not a respecter of persons. And so if God can do it for them, God can do it for me. And if God can do it for me, God can do it for you. If God can empower them, God can empower me. And if he can empower me, he can empower you. See, the reason why each of us has this ability or this potential to to be game changers is because of something supernatural is at work. And that supernatural that's at work is the grace of God. And see, I'm one of those people, I, I, I need grace for everything. I, I'm talking about everything. If I'm cooking a meal for my family, God, give me grace. And I can put my foot in it. Some of y'all don't mean I can, I can cook pretty good. That's what that means. But I need grace. Caleb, I can cook. Don't you start nothing. I'll see you over there talking. Well, you eat it. <laughs> so, but I need grace for every single thing in my life. I need grace to be a husband to my wife. And I have a great wife. And we have a great marriage. And we've been married 20 years since last week. You know, people used to say to us, because, you know, in the, in the days that we live, people were like, y'all got four kids? How y'all do that? Like four is many. My wife's grandmother had ten. Right? Like, perspective. Like, how do you do it? Grace. You have four teenagers in the house at the same time. How do you do it? Grace. (laughs) Somebody like, Lord, give me some. I need some grace. Right? I mean, I need grace for everything. I need grace. But when I'm leading worship, I need grace. When I'm preaching, I need grace. I need God's enabling power. Listen, some of us think that grace only stops at salvation or it's a saving grace. Well, listen, there is an enabling grace that I want more of, that I long for, that I covet, because there are just some things I can't do in my ability. So God, give me grace so I can do the things that I can't do. Doesn't even make sense, does it? God, give me grace so I can do the things I can't do. But there's something supernatural that's at work. So remember, John says it like this. I just want to say this one more time, then we're going to read our first Peter scripture. 
For out of his fullness, abundance, we have all received, all had a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. I want to live in that place. So in light of John 1 and 16, let's read our verses for the day. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. When you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say wait. We're only going to wait just a minute. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes, the hum, uh, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary of the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. This is the day that you made, and Lord, we celebrate you. We bless your holy name. Lord, there is none like you in all the earth. And God, I pray that you would pour out a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of your Son, that you would open up the book. That we would behold wondrous truths from you all. God, I pray that uh, I would decrease and that you would explode that your anointing would destroy every yoke and every bondage. I thank you that you prepared a message for a heart and a heart for a message, and God, that you would do only what you can do. God, that you give sight to the blind. You cause the deaf to hear, the mute to sing, the lame to dance, that you would even raise the dead. I give you praise for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Now, I believe this. I believe that each one of us can walk in what I would call game-changing grace by heeding Peter's directives. Now, Peter is now getting ready to close this letter, and it, it might be said that he's at a climax here, kind of uh, summarizing what you need to do in order to uh, handle all the things he's already talked about. Right? So he's saying that this idea applies to the other topics I spoke to you about, whether it be hardship and suffering, how do you handle it? What do you do when you're among strange people in a strange place feeling like a foreigner? How do you honor government that is unjust? How do you honor a boss who's tripping or is not treating you appropriately? 
Is it possible to be subject to a spouse? How do I live with her in an understanding way? What? Above all, love, how do you do that? Am I really supposed to rejoice in suffering? How do you lead a flock? How do you submit to to elders? Peter is going to give us the secret sauce in this directive. He's saying we accomplish all we accomplish by grace. So how do you handle suffering? By grace. How do you come under subjection? By grace. How do you dwell with her in an understanding way? By grace. How do you handle government that's unjust? By grace. How do you rejoice in suffering? By grace. We accomplish all we accomplish by grace, and we will accomplish all we will accomplish by grace. It's God's enabling power. Grace is not simply kindness. Oh, they're so kind. Grace is also power. Enablement. Ability. See, grace is the how-to to the how-tos. How do you do that? By grace. But the question is, how does one grow in grace or receive more grace? Anybody want to receive more grace? Anybody got any hard things in your life? You're like, Lord, I need some grace for that. Yes, Lord. Well, Peter, I believe Peter helps us out in these verses. Peter's first directive to walking in game-changing grace is to be subject. What? What do you mean, be subject? To be subject means to, to come under, to it's really a military term that you come under rank. And he says, be subject. Let's read that. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. This is King James Version. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. I told the first service, I haven't read in King James in a long time. Like it resisteth the proud and giveth. Sorry. I'm messing with somebody out there. But notice, I mean, if you're you're not careful, you'll think that uh, you're only supposed to submit yourselves to the elders. But that's not what Peter says. He says, all of you be subject one to another. Arrange yourself under. Come under those that are around you. See, God says that because voluntary subjection reveals humility. Notice I said it's voluntary. Because there are some things that we are subjected to that we don't want to be subjected to. 
that doesn't reveal humility. But voluntary subjection reveals humbleness. It, humility is a, a, a bringing yourself uh, a, a base or in a low state. Did you know that even Jesus had to be subject? It's Luke 2, verses 51 and 52. This is after Jesus, as a young boy at 12, was, uh, you know, traveling back with his folks. And then, you know, the Bible says they couldn't find him for three days. They're like, where's this boy at? And they went back, and Jesus was like, didn't y'all know I'd be about my daddy's business? And then this is what we read. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. In other words, Jesus came under, under the authority of his parents. Now check this out. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Because humility brings her reward. So when we humble ourselves, there's reward that comes with it. That's, oh, yes. What? It's like, it's countercultural. I know it's countercultural because we think that, you know, we got to be on the top in order to get the reward. But the Bible is no. If we will humble ourselves, he'll give us more grace. It comes with reward. In Jesus' case, he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and men. The second directive that Peter gives to walking in game-changing grace is be clothed in humility. What? So in other words, we should wear humility like it's a garment so that when people see us, what do they see? Humility. And I'm not talking about false humility. I'm talking about the real deal. He says, verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, uh, subject, uh, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, in there is hidden a little bit of a truth. And, and uh, if you jump over, you won't see it, but it, it, it's there. And it's this truth. How we are with one another determines how God is with us. How we are with one another determines how God is with us. I mean, if you read about forgiveness, I'm talking about real forgiveness, not I'm sorry. <laughs> it didn't knock your socks off. Jesus says this. He says, if you don't forgive your brothers, my heavenly Father won't forgive you. So how you treat others determines how God's going to treat you. Yeah, yeah, help us, Jesus. Yes, Lord. <laughs> yes, help us. But I want you to see something. But humility, it brings a reward, but humility also, it gives. I mean, if you just, if you just Google 
humility in the Proverbs, you'll just see all kinds of blessing that comes. The Bible says that with humility comes honor, and with humility comes life, and with humility comes riches. Humility gives y'all. See, one of the things that we forget is God is attracted to the lowly of heart. He's attracted to them. See, we're attracted to strength. God's attracted to humility. Psalms 138 and 6 says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. God is attracted to our brokenness. He's attracted to our weakness. In fact, maybe it was what was going on in, uh, in Paul's mind when Paul says, thy grace is sufficient. He was going through him and he was suffering. He had a thorn in his flesh. He said, I prayed three times for this thing to go, and it didn't go. And, and God answered him and said, listen, dude, my grace is sufficient. Don't you know that my strength is perfected in your weakness. It's not your strength that strength is perfected in. It's your weakness that strength is perfected in. God's attracted to it. So don't play the game like you got it all together when you know you don't. Everybody good? See, y'all learning me now. Look at that. Y'all talking back to a brother. The third directive to walking in game-changing grace is humble yourself. Y'all like, are you going to talk about anything else? I'm just talking about what Peter's talking about. See, Notice it says, humble yourself. Humility is not a community effort. Right? Humility is a personal, a personal discipline. It is not a corporate responsibility. See, have you ever encountered people that want to humble you? They think it's their job to humble you? Sometimes we think it's our job. You know what? Oh, he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> Let me tell him that he got mismatched socks on. Oh, when you're younger, you know, if somebody was better than you, you were going to try to find something wrong with them so you could humble them. Listen, there is such thing as corporate accountability. But our responsibility is not to humble people. In fact, when you read Paul, when he's talking about it, the thorn in his side, the Bible says that God allowed it because of, the, uh, of his great revelations and an insight that he wouldn't be conceited. But they, he called them messengers of Satan. So when we go off trying to humble people, we end up becoming messengers of Satan. <laughs> That's the Bible. That's not me. Should I hide behind here or something? <laughs> Humility is personal. Check this out. Verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, 
therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humility is a low state or being abased or at the bottom. And Peter is saying, bring your low self under, under God. Bring your low self under God's mighty hand. Bring your low self under strength and power. See, what we are under determines what gets slowed down to us. And when we bring ourselves under him, What flows down from him is his mighty hand. What flows down from him is his power. What flows down from him is his grace. What flows down from him is his mercy. What you are under determines what flows down to you. Yes, Lord. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) humility is some good stuff, y'all. Because humbling ourselves brings the promise of elevation. God says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Jesus said another way, if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But if we would humble ourselves, there's the promise that God will elevate us. He will lift us. He will bring us up out of the foolery and the mess and the mire. Hmm. So while you're in your low state, until you're in your elevated place, Peter continues to write. He says that we should cast our cares upon him, for he cares. When you come under, you get to cast down. Your cares. And here's the truth. If you're already under and you've got these cares and these anxieties, you know what you do? You just throw them toward heaven. I'm going to throw them up to you, Lord. Every anxiety. Now, I love this word anxiety in the Greek because it really means the things that has your heart going in different directions. Or things that become a distraction. You're trying to focus. I'm trying to focus, but all I keep thinking about is the, the bill that's coming up. Or you're trying to focus, but all you can think about is how your kid is, is tripping. And you're trying to focus, but all you can think about is when you got, you got to go back to work. But, but those things that keep you worried and keep you up at night. Peter says, cast those things to the Lord. Why? Because he cares. He's concerned about you. Notice Peter is writing to those that are persecuted, those that are suffering, those that are going through hardship. And he said, listen, I know that you got things going on. I know it's tough, but remember, you have one that cares about you. So give him all those cares and anxieties and worries. The psalmist says in uh, in Psalm 138, I believe in verse 6, he says, says, God perfects the things that concern us. He completes them. He matures them. He brings them to fruition. God's concerned about you. Do you realize the scripture that we quote all the time about God's purpose and plan for us? uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans not to harm you, but give you hope and expect an end. Plans to give you peace. Do you know that he's writing that to a people who are in bondage and captivity? And God is simply saying, I know it's tough, but you need to know that's not my plan for you. 
Now, will he use it? Absolutely. Because it's good. And he works all things up for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's going he's to make it good. But it wasn't his plan. Amen. Hmm. The fourth directive to walking in game-changing grace is be sober and be alert. Resist him. Now, why do you think Peter is saying this? He says, be sober-minded. Now, he's saying sober-minded because he's saying, listen, don't be under the influence of any drink. Be watchful. Pay attention. You know why he says it? Because you know when you're anxious, you make really bad decisions. When you're suffering, you make really bad decisions. And he says, listen, uh uh-uh. Be alert. Be sober-minded. In other words, think clearly. Don't be under any other influence. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. And how does the enemy devour you? The enemy devours you when pride rises up. See, it was his same, it was his same sin. When you study the enemy, uh, what got him kicked out of heaven is when he decided to make, you know, I am going to be like the Most High. I'm going to send to the highest heavens. I will, I will, I, I, I. And sometimes when we are going through in life, we have the tendency to say I. And Peter says, listen, don't let that be you. Be sober-minded. Don't be under the influence of your hardship. See, Peter understands that the enemy deceives us with pride, and then pride deceives us again. Pride in the Greek is appearing above others or showing oneself above others. And I love it says appearing. In other words, it looks like you're above others, but you're really not. You're just living by pretense. You're faking it till you make it. (laughs) Anybody ever said that one? We must be clear in our thoughts and alert or awake. We can't allow pride. Another way to, to say pride is when self arises. Or when self comes up. When self shows up, sometimes that means we try to cheat a little bit. It's pride giving rise to self. It's getting what self needs apart from grace. For these believers in 1 Peter, it's I can just fight my way 
through this injustice or hardship. For spouses, I'm not going to submit to you. I got a brain just like you do. I was going to snap my finger, but I decided not to do that. Husband to his wife, because I told you so. It's giving rise to self and what the self wants. C.S. Lewis once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Can you think of yourself less? God wants us to experience his fullness. He wants us to experience grace upon grace and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing and favor upon favor and gift heaped upon gift. He wants us to go beyond saving grace to enabling grace that helps us in in our daily needs, but There's a requirement. It's called humility. And so you have this picture where God says he resists the proud. And Because I love sports, I'm so glad it's football season because I'm tired of NASCAR and golf and tennis. Um, (laughs) But but I kind of think about, I'm sorry, y'all. I know y'all like some tennis and some golf. I like for people to hit each other or something. Anyway, but I think about a stiff arm when I think about God resisting the proud. It's like he says, talk of the hand. He's like, oh, you can't get close. And so God says he resists the proud, yet we have a responsibility to resist the devil. And stand firm in faith. In other words, when the moment comes when self wants to rise up, you give you stiff arm self. Y'all know what that means? That means when you want to get an attitude and talk back to somebody, resist that. You want to give them an attitude because I've got to just let you know how I feel. And it's coming from the wrong motive. Give self the hand. Why don't you go to First Peter one more time, 5. I think this is so powerful. And, and I want to read it out of the Amplified Version. I'm sorry, not First Peter, but James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is kind of like the twin of 1 Peter 5 and 5. It's like it's twin. It talks about similar subject matter. In fact, you will probably think maybe Peter had read this and may have been influenced by some of James' thinking. James 4, 5, and 6 says, Or do you suppose that the Scripture is speaking to no purpose that says, The Spirit whom he has caused to dwell in, in us yearns over us, and he yearns for the Spirit to be welcomed with a jealous love. Verse 6, but he gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit, 
to meet this evil tendency in all others. That is why he says God sets himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. So be subject to God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee. See, pride breeds sin in our life. What I really want you to know is God wants to be close to you. He wants to unleash his grace upon you. He wants you to be so satisfied by his fullness. But our pride gets in the way. When James begins to talk about these verses, he's talking about them in the context of sin. And he says, don't you know that the Spirit of the Lord is jealous for the Spirit he made to dwell inside you? That God said, listen, I want to be with you. How long to be with you? I'm passionate about you. And I want to unleash grace to you. But you have a responsibility to humble yourself. To not allow self to rise up. Resisting the devil. Back to 1 Peter 5. Verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself. Woo! Okay, see, I, I'm going to say that one more time just so you can, can kind of feel where I'm, how I feel about this. Don't you love it when God shows up himself? in your mess. Don't you love when God gets in the middle of things and starts to change things and starts to shift things? The Bible says after you've suffered for a little while, he himself will come and restore and confirm and establish and strengthen. He himself gets in the middle of our mess when we say, God, I humble myself. I come under your mighty hand to receive all the blessing, to receive all the promise, to receive all the peace, to receive all the joy, to receive all your grace, God. So there's the story of a of some monkey hunters. That wasn't a joke. <laughs> and the way the monkey hunters would hunt the monkeys is that they would carve out a coconut and they would cut it in half and they would put an orange on the inside of it and then they would 
carve out a hole for the monkey to put his hand in, and they would tie it to rope to a tree. And all of a sudden, some unsuspecting monkey is walking around like, I smell oranges. And he'll go to that coconut who put his hand in there, and he'll grab that orange. But when he goes to pull it out, because he's holding the orange, it made his hand too big to come out. And he's grabbing, and he's on the tree, and he won't let go. He's like, I got to get this orange. This thing smells good. And he won't let go. And while he's holding on, the monkey hunter comes out with a net and captures him. But all he had to do was let go of the orange. See, that's how the enemy captures us with our pride. God's just saying, let go of self. And I'm going to unleash on you. Let go of your sin. Yes, you're saved. You're going to heaven. But let go of it. It's, it, it's keeping you stuck. I want to unleash my grace upon you to enable you to do what you could not do for yourself. So will you pray with me? God wants every aspect of our lives to be marked by his grace. He wants us to discover the sufficiencies and his grace. We don't have to be strong. And so, Father, right now, we, we surrender ourselves. We bring ourselves under your mighty hand with all our anxieties, all our hardships, all our suffering, all the chaos in our lives. And God, we cast them to you because you're so good that you care. You're not absent-minded when it comes to us. You want us to experience all your goodness. So God, we, we repent of our pride that keeps holding on to self. God, we repent for neglecting our time with you. Father, would you unleash grace in this place? That we would live out our name on this corner, in this city. Will you give more of your spirit to us? that we can live from your fullness, grace upon grace, spiritual blessing after spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, gift upon gift, that we may be game changers 
in the places we live, work, and play. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I wholeheartedly believe that God wants every aspect of your life marked by grace. And so, go in grace. God bless you. Have a super Sunday. If you need prayer, there will be some workers up front.